Good morning, everyone. My name is Frank B. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, it's definitely an honor to be here. Anytime I can speak on the behalf of AA, uh, it's a good thing for me. Uh, I need to do it uh, because that's how I was taught in this program uh, by some of the people uh, I'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, I'd like to tell a little bit about my story, you know, how what happened, you know, what it was like now, you know. And the thing is, is that uh, parts of my story, uh, I'd like to point out a few things as I tell you about my journey. Uh, first one I'd like to talk, I'll talk about a little bit is fear, then denial, and then forgiveness. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. Uh, my sobriety date is uh, 4-12-01. Uh, I was born in Chicago, like I said, in 1951, June 8th. I grew up in the south side of Chicago to Italian-Irish parents, neither of who were drinkers, uh, and I wasn't exposed much to alcohol. Uh, the family uh, was a very middle-class family. My dad worked in the steel mills. One of the few guys that worked in the steel mills at that time that probably didn't stop in the bar and drank. Uh, very family-orientated. Uh, I remember growing up, uh, uh, my parents uh, tried to teach me values and things that I, I went. I, I tried to learn from them. I went to a Catholic school for seven years. Uh, for me personally, school was very difficult. Uh, I struggled with school. Uh, one of the things... Uh, I had, I, I had a speech impediment. I suffered, as I found out later on, from dyslexia, and I was a hyper child. Uh, today, I think nowadays that with the hyper kids, they'll pretty much give them a little Ritalin and tell them to sit down. But back then, the nuns had a little different story for me. Uh, what they did for me is they took my locker away, and they made me carry my books, hoping to tire me out so I'd sit still. You know, I, the old saying back then is the kid, something wrong with the kid, he had ants in his pants. You know, that's how they said things back then. As far as discipline goes and things like that, at that time uh, uh, the nuns could discipline the kids and they, they, there's no bones about it. After a while, uh, for me personally, the ruler on the back of the knees was no big deal. Uh, I, got, I got to be used to it. I think it toughened up my legs. Like I said, I think then, for me personally, as kids and human beings, you know, we all try to fit in and want to be liked. Uh, for me, the only way I could do that was one, was with getting in trouble. And my second way to fit in and make friends was with sports. Those two things. Like a lot of us, we gravitate to things we like or, or are good at. And uh, that was the way I was able to fit in and get around. Uh, like I said, the school was very difficult. I struggled. Uh, one of the thing also about the Catholic school at that time, like many of you know, the Catholic, we were made to go to church before school every day. You know, I couldn't, it was like, and unfortunately, the only thing I could do well in school, I had perfect attendance in the sixth grade, so I went to church every day. Which, you know, like I said, it's making an alcoholic, and I didn't know at the time, do something he didn't want to do would develop a tremendous resentment. Uh, the last thing I really remember about the Catholic school and my, my experience there was, uh, as usual, I was, uh, you know, clowning around. The teacher left the room, and uh, I was doing my thing or whatever I was doing, making everybody laugh. And I had my, of course, I had to sit right in front of the teacher, third row center all the time. And it got real quiet. As I go to turn around, the principal came in, Sister Marie. And before I might turn around, her hand was in the air, and she just whacked me across the face. I just wanted to cry, but of course I couldn't. I didn't want anybody to show you know, that it hurt, because it hurt like heck. And she said to me, Frank, she goes, you're going to hell if you don't change your ways. And that was the last thing I really remember about my Catholic <laughs> upbringing. As we went around, at that time I was finished the seventh grade, we moved to a new area. Uh, as usual, I used what I had, a little bit of people skills I had in sports to fit in and make friends. 
Uh, I love playing sports. It didn't matter. I just love being at the park where we, where we moved. It was a park district, and I, I was outside constantly. They'd have to call me, you know, call me in for, for dinner. I didn't care. Baseball, football, basketball. I played soccer, and these were things I really enjoyed, you know. And it's like anything else in life, you know, it's where you want to fit in. I felt, I felt like I could fit in there. Then it came time to go to school again. I was lost. Uh, by this time now, I was in high school. Growing up and things like that and struggling and the grades were a problem. Uh, I was, you know, I was on, I was on the basketball team. I, I was asked, flunked off. I couldn't stay eligible. I had to end up going to summer, summer school classes to make up the classes. By the time I was, I was playing soccer also at that time because I couldn't play school in sports and our high school didn't have a soccer team. I was playing on a junior team and I vividly remember that, uh, one of the dads, of the one of, my, one of the other guys in junior, we went to their games, and the men's men's team was playing, and it was so cool. After the men's game, we'd sit there and sit with the men and stuff, and they'd give the young guys a few beers. I was in heaven. From that first sip, I loved it. The effect was amazing. I thought I was invincible at 15 years old. As time went on, did this a little bit more in my experience of alcohol. Now, by the time I was 17, uh, the goalie on the men's team got hurt. I was asked to play for the men's team, you know, which was really, really, you know, great at the time because the competition was good. And a lot of these guys had come over. At that time, soccer in the Chicagoland area was a very ethnic sport. Is it? I played for a Croatian team. There was Marquette Park had the Litz, the Lithuanian team. The Maroons were the Italian team. They had Winslow and the Eagles were Polish teams. Schwaben was the German team. There were Hispanic teams, At- Atlas and Nacoxa. And we traveled all over the city playing. But now, the best thing about playing with the men's team, for me, was that I only get to play with the men. I get to drink with the men. And it was unbelievable. They took me all over. At that time, the laws weren't like they are now. I'd go in there and be able to drink with the guys and everything else and I just couldn't believe it. And I go back and tell my high school friends. They say, "You're kidding me." I said, no. "No." And that was, you know, really. I can look back now, you know, and see that is that that experience and what happened to me there influenced me for the rest of my life. I not only did I love the drink, I loved the bars, I loved the atmosphere, the people, the things I did, because I felt like I fit in. So I thought. You know, as time went on, I continued to uh, play with the team. They were, took me all over. I played in tournaments in Milwaukee, Toronto, all over. You know, as a young man. Now, by the time I'm 18, uh, you know, I've been drinking for a while, and we were playing in a a, a, a game there. And after guy, I let him come back. There was some very good sportsmanship. There was some poor sportsmanship. The guy came up to me, "Hey, good game." He says, "How old are you?" I said, "I'm a senior in high school. I'm 18 years old." He said, "Would you like to go to college?" I said, are you sure? Because for me, I mean, I said, well, maybe he'd want to look at my grades, because if he looked at my grades, you know, there might be a problem here. And he said, no, no, I'm serious. He said, I, I need somebody for this fall to play. To play. And I said, okay. I said, but I, I'm warning you now is that, you know, I don't know if you know, you'll take me. He said, well, well, let me work on that. And at that time, where I grew up on the southeast side of Chicago, is it, there wasn't a lot of options. I mean, I, where I grew up, you did one of two things, you know. You walked across the street to the steel mills, and only the rich kids went to college at that time. 
You know, college wasn't like now where you know everybody's entitled or whatever. To, it, it was a real big deal. It wasn't you know. And, so th- this coach, who later became a very good friend and, and mentor for me, uh, got me into college somehow. I don't know how he did it. I still don't. I went in on, I probably was one of the few people that, I went in on probation, academic probation, immediately. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I was taking some of the classes that the other kids weren't taking. And, you know, I, he looked out for me. I know that now. You know, he cut a few corners. But, you know, there again, in life, uh, I was given, you know, many opportunities as my story continues, I, I'll tell you the stories and some of my wasted opportunities. Uh, as far as that life goes, I loved it. The freedom was unbelievable. I didn't have to worry sneaking around. My parents were sneaking around anymore. You know, they didn't even care if you went to classes, just as long as you got a passing grade. And that's all I did. I did the bare minimum, just enough to stay eligible. One year wasn't enough. I had to go to summer school. I, I had to go back there and take a class in the summer to stay eligible. But the drinking there, you know, like I said, it, it was really, you know, you, at college, you know, like I said, the freedom was unbelievable. And I remember the end of that one year, one distinct memory is that uh, I was very fortunate. I, I really struggled with the studies, like I mentioned, in college, and I got, I got by. The soccer came easy for me. The sports came easy for me. I was 18 years old. I'd already played almost two years on a men's team at a higher level. So that came pretty good. I, I started, played all the games, you know, got a few ac- you know, accolades and stuff. So that part was, was good for my ego, basically. But the ch- thing was is that I remember the end of the year, so the, I was the freshman, they had some kind of end of the year. They were going to have like this initiation for the freshman. The season was over. You know, we didn't, at that time, was, the guys were pretty good. They didn't drink during the season, but I did. They were going to take me out and show the young freshman from Chicago how to drink. Well, that was their first mistake. By this time, that, that night, all the upperclassmen and the soccer players were in bed. Frank was still drinking. There was a senior at the college who was the number one supposedly, you know, biggest drinker in the college. I finished with him and sat till dawn, you know. By this time now, I'm a legend in my own mind, you know. I'm good at two things, sports and drinking. That's how I thought. So, like I said, the legend was born, you know, as far as that was concerned. So everybody said, oh, man, don't drink with him, blah, 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 you know, as we all wanted to be. One of the things I, I, I look back now about, you know, alcohol and alcohol, you know, alcoholism and things like that is that when I was, you know, younger and drinking and stuff and first getting going around is that we want to brag about how much we drank, you know, and how, how we did this and did that. Now, to, when, for me, at the end, at the end of my drinking, I didn't want to tell anybody how much. I didn't want to, I, I'd, I'd underestimate. I'd, oh, I only drink a little, you know. That's how we come full circle in this program. Uh, at this time, like I said, I, I finished the first year of college and uh, went home every summer, had a good job at the park district. I was always a weekend warrior. I drank every weekend. Uh, I, I don't know if, like I said, if just because I was hooked or because I loved, I loved the lifestyle. And it was beginning to be a real pattern. Uh, I can honestly say by that time, you know, as far as that, I wasn't even 21 yet. Uh, I had those neon, neon lights in my veins. Uh, one of the big turning points for my drinking then was when I finally turned 21. Oh my God, I could do this legally. You know. So the first thing I did, because when I'm growing up is like I said, after this experience with alcohol, I sort of had to des- real figured out what my life what I wanted to do. I wanted to play sports, you know, drink, and have a bar. You know. And, and the Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I learned now is that be careful what you wish for. Sometimes God's grants our wishes. 
continue with my story, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, home the summers and stuff. The college uh, was was just. I, I mean, I loved it. You know, I I was I was so happy there, and everything was going right. My my life was just wonderful. You know, I couldn't think of anything there, and time. Time tends to fly by. You know, I had the college. I had the job in the bar. I could drink when I wanted to. I had the girlfriend. I had, I had, life couldn't get any better. I didn't think, I said, man, I never want to leave this place. Well, like many things in life, all things must come to an end. Uh, after four and a half years, my grants, my scholarships were done. Uh, at that time, they called this thing, a, I guess the dean called it pursuing a degree. Well, I tried to stay one step ahead of all of them all the time. I switched my majors. I was a history major. I was a PE major. I was an elementary ed major. And I, I just, I tried to do whatever I could because, like I said, I really never, never intended to graduate because I never wanted to leave. Uh, I used some of my people-pleasing skills of what I had is that when I do there, this was a smaller Christian college. I got involved. Uh, believe it or not, uh, like I said, I fooled a few people. I got elected to class officers. Uh, I uh, volunteered. I worked at varsity club. I sold concessions. I got a job in the cafeteria, helped the cafeteria ladies. I did what I could to fit in because that's what I did because you know, I wanted people to like me. It's for all of us, you know, in life sometimes that it, it becomes our main goal is that we're people-pleasing and we want, want everybody to like us. Uh, I even did some volunteer work. Like I said, for three spring breaks, I went down to Florida to an Advent Christian orphanage and old people's home and worked for a week during my spring break, you know. And that was wonderful. You know, the last year I was a leader and stuff. It took the pressure off everything because in a smaller com- campus like that, everybody knew about the drinking. But sooner or later, it came to a head. Uh, like I said, I mentioned I had a girlfriend, and uh, she knew about it more than anybody. And she called me on it, and I wasn't ready. That's for sure. You know, That day, when I told her, I said, fine, we're done. I choose alcohol. You know, I broke two hearts. But I, beginning of a pattern for me that I continuously would choose alcohol during the course of my life. Alcohol had to be number one. So now here I am, I'm in the dean's office, I'm on the carpet, and he said, uh, he said, what are you doing here? I said, oh, crap. You know, what? I can't tell him the truth. You know, what am I going to tell him? You know, I'm here to teach those young kids how to drink. You know, that's my job. Well, I couldn't speak, and he said, uh, we're going we're gonna to let you go. We're going to kick you out of here. He said, you are a bad example and a bad influence on the younger students. First thought was, how dare he? Well, it's his college, you know. There's not much I can do about it. So I left there really with the head between, head between my legs. You know, I was devastated. My parents were crushed. You know, nobody in my family had ever went to college or anything like that. Uh, I, I, was a, I could see the disappointment in their eyes. Uh, so I came home for a while, got my things organized, and thank God through the, my, some of my people I met in college, I immediately left home, got a job in a sporting goods store and a bar immediately. That's the first thing I did when I went to the new town. Because I knew I had to work because I wanted to drink, and I wanted to be in the bar, so I got a job there. Even in college, when I turned 21, that was one of the first things I did. I got a job in a bar, which, like I said, from the time I was 21 or over the next 25 years, I would always have a job in a bar. It made me feel more comfortable with myself, especially as an alcoholic. So after this time, like I said, uh, things were going pretty good. You know, I thought things, you know, there and. As, as again, I was given so many opportunities. And my old coach called me. He said, uh, I, I talked to this guy. He's seen you play. There's a tryout out of town for a professional team. He said, go down there. He said, you know. I said, ah, all right, I'll give it a try. 
I go down, there's all these guys, and I, at that time, I was a goalie, there's 10 guys at my position. So I go ahead, I do the best I can. I don't know how, but somehow, they choose down to the final three. And they said, you three come back tomorrow. I've only shared this a few times. How does an alcoholic celebrate? At that time, I really believe I was an alcoholic. I got drunk, drank through the night, never made the tryout, never showed up. You know. It was easier for me to come home and tell my friends and family that I had failed rather than tell them, I'm an alcoholic, I drank, I didn't even go to the tryout. If you don't think at a young age, like I said, I was about 22, 23 that time, alcohol had a grip on me, boy, forget about it. You know, I didn't know at the time. You know, This was just a precursor of what was going to happen, for me anyhow. But life just kept giving me these opportunities. The next few you know, years, it was, it was work, drink, and go to the bars, you know, carry on, carry on. I was about, at this time now, like I said, I was playing sports, and now it was getting harder because I was playing on a club, and I was getting a little older, and then... It got a little bit harder, and then they invented this thing called 30 and over soccer, and I, w- I was back on top again. I played in the 30 and over league and with a bunch of my college friends, and I, I started enjoying it again. But it was all bit centered around drinking, like everything else in my life. Everything in my life by that time was centered around drinking. I was given an opportunity. Uh, two jobs came along. One job, when I was working at a sporting goods company, this gentleman was a sa- shoe salesman for a company. And he said, he said, you're, I said, you're pretty good. I said, you sell stuff. And I said, you know, I, I try. And he says, well, we've got a company that sells sporting goods and shoes, and we want to sell the schools. And we want to go to all the sporting goods stores in northern Illinois. And it'd be a real good, you know, opportunity for you because, you know, it's not like good pay, but there's a chance for advancement. And I, boy, and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, the day later, these two guys come up to me where I'm tending a bar at the, at, at the other place. They said, we're going to open up a sports-themed bar. Now, this is 27 years ago. There was no sports bars. You know, and I, what, at the time, it was a good concept. There was none within 20 miles. Of maybe I didn't even know if there was any in Chicago at the time. And they said, we'd like you to manage it for us. He said that they were business people, didn't have a lot of experience in the food and restaurant business or the bar business. And to make a long story short, uh, I think you know which one I chose. I chose the bar job to be a bar manager, to be around the alcohol. And also, for you, another talk about wasted opportunities. That little shoe company with the funny logo was Nike. I could have been on the ground floor. But there again, I chose my old friend, alcohol. Didn't know at the time. Hindsight's twenty twenty. So now I had this wonderful job. I mean, was in the bar all the time. Um, worked there, drank there, everything. Seven days a week. What a great life. You know, so I thought. You know. The drinking, uh, like I said, were before I used to call myself a weekend warrior. Well, everybody I surrounded myself with was either a heavy drinker, an alcoholic, or thought like I did. If you didn't drink, I didn't trust you. Not in the bar, not in my lifestyle. Now, that's how it was. You had to drink for me to like you even, maybe. And this, like I said, I took this job and, you know, things were, were, were going well, uh, and, I remember when I would take a vacation, this is another thing I did. My vacations were a lot different than most people's. Now, I, I was blessed. I was able to do a lot of things. Uh, I traveled to, you know, to Vegas, California, Florida, New York, all over. But my vacations, my objective of my vacation when I went to these places was to go in as many bars as humanly possible. I mentioned I went to Florida. One of those places I stayed on Disney property. 
was there for four and a half, five days. Never stood foot in an amusement park, any of the parks. Never. Never went near them. All I knew was the hotel hotel bars and pool bars. I could share where they were. I could take the little water tram to them. Real good. You know, talk about another like that. Thank God this is one of the things in my sobriety. I was granted, you know, a, a really a daily reprieve. I was able to go back there with my nieces and nephews and see it sober through their eyes. What a gift. I can look back now. And like I said, one of my wasted opportunities that I was able to at least rectify a little bit. As the drinking continued, uh, you know, like everybody else, I, I think I, I knew I had a problem. Of course I did. But uh, you don't want to deal with it. I remember a little bit guys talk when I was in the bar. They talked about AA. I didn't like, I didn't like this AA thing because guys disappeared. And I didn't like that. That's bad for business. I, so I'd send these other guys to go get them and bring them to the bar, you know. As I look back now, it was probably the closest thing to an AA Antichrist alive, you know. But that was how I, how I, how I was. I was an alcoholic and I wanted everybody to drink. And, and like I said, I associated, everybody I associated thought like that. Uh, I knew it, like I said, I knew I had a problem, uh, things were going well. Uh, I knew I, I thought if I settled down and maybe things would get better. And, uh, bought a house, tried, you know, that, and that's a lot of yard work and you need a six pack to cut the grass. So that wasn't working too good for me. Uh, as I settled down, I met someone who, Accepted me and my drinking. I mean, I'm I'm really blessed now to have somebody somebody that accepts me and accepts who I am as far as my drinking. Uh, as things got better, uh, it just I was like I said I had a horseshoe in my butt sometimes. By this time now, the other guy, the partner who had started the bar, he got liked the bar a little too much and got in trouble with the ladies and got a divorce. I bought his half of the bar. So now, for me. Here I have it, you know. I've got, I've got the house, I've got everything, I've got the bar, and I've got the keys to the kingdom. But you know what? Still wasn't happy. Everything I said as a child came true. Everything I wanted, I got. Still wasn't happy. I didn't know then what life really had in store for me. I was about to start experiencing some real loss that alcoholics experience. Uh, she was taken from me. Suddenly. I didn't handle that real well. Did I mourn? Probably not. But I'm an alcoholic. I seen an opportunity. People felt sorry for me. You know, I didn't have to explain or justify my drinking again. You know. Gosh, you know, that was that was a good feeling. But that shows the grip the alcoholism had on my life, you know, as far as that goes. I, I could drink and nobody bothered me and people feel sorry for me. You know, down the line is, 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 is we want my drinking really escalated then. I mean, not just, you know, getting drunk. I mean, really starting to drink and every time I drank and blacking out. Didn't like these blackouts. Or a problem again. I had to explain myself, which I didn't like doing. And I'd see somebody coming up to me and say, oh, did I buy him a drink or did I punch him? You know, and I didn't know. I didn't know what I did. They said, i seen you such and such. Thanks. I, was, was I there? Oh, yeah, yeah, you bought us a drink. I said, okay. You know, this is what how my life life was. You know, so this blackout thing, I, like an alcoholic, I've got a remedy for everything. Is that I didn't like the guy that Frank was. So I had an alter ego. I called him Tony Dominic. I printed up business cards for him. Tony Dominic was the drunk. Tony Dominic was the one that got in trouble. Frank was a good guy. 
was coming out a few guys and a few of the girls come up and says, Tony coming out tonight to play? You know, they made fun of it. <laughs> you know, but I didn't have to have any accountability, so I loved it. You know, I'll go to any lengths to show I'm not an alcoholic or a drunk. And that's what I did. Like I said, this proceeded and then I started, as we go along, you start to have huge losses. You know? I lost the bar. Drank it away. I lost my health. It was one of those days where I thought I just had a gut ache. I thought I was sick. Then I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what was wrong. Finally, for some reason, I said, well, maybe I'll try to go to the hospital. So I get myself to the emergency room. At this time now, I'm the same height, <laughs> but I was probably taller laying down. My belly was distended, they said. I was 240 pounds. I'm in the emergency room now. Doctors asked me a bunch of questions. He said, we're going to take you to, right to the ICU. We've got to do something. And he's asked me the question there again. He said, uh, are you a drinker? Well, no, I'm a weekend warrior. I'm laying. The guy knows what's wrong with me. I can tell. I'm still in denial. I'm lying through my teeth. But who, am I, who was I lying to? I was only lying to myself. Now, we protect, and we, you know, we try to say, say now and then we protect our sobriety because I was protecting my drunkenness at any cost. Everybody knew but me. So it gets me to the intensive care, and I, they're pumping my stomach, and there's tubes coming out of everything. And I just remember feeling real lightheaded, and they're working on me that, and that night. And I, I think I started to feel better, and then that night, I just I didn't know what happened. My eyes rolled back to my head. I still very, very vaguely remember it in intensive care. Uh, I had a seizure. And for many of you know, like I said, they diagnosed me also. I had pancreatitis. My pancreas was not producing any insulin. My liver and my kidneys were damaged. And I, I, I didn't know what to say. You know. he, said, uh, he said, you're in trouble. He said, I don't know what you told me earlier. He said, but if you drink, it's going to kill you. He said, I don't care one drink. Said, you can't drink. He said, you're in bad shape. I uh, proceeded to stay in the intensive care unit for 16 days, another 20, 25, 29 days in the hospital. Um, Tried to learn about diabetes. Uh, like I said, I wish I could tell you the light went off and I got it. But I'm a stubborn alcoholic. I had to go back out there and get some more pain. Uh, at this time, I'm taking shots daily for insulin. I'm taking medication for seizures. And I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. Well, that's a dangerous place for an alcoholic. So now I said, why don't I add a little alcohol to this situation? So I did. So I'm drinking. Monitoring my blood sugar, high and low, giving myself shots, trying to keep it within the norms while I'm still drinking and taking my medication. You talk about blackout, because I thought I had blackouts before. I said, I had some doozies. I, I mean, I, I'd, lo I'd lose, you know, there. Almost went into a diabetic coma a couple times. You know, caught myself, dry mouth, I kept candy around. I continued to drink despite what they told me, despite what it did to me. Now, I longed for a drink after I got well again. That's all I wanted to do was drink because I thought it would make me well. Now we reach a point and then my family and all, you, you can't hide things much longer when you're in the hospital for a month and a half. It's pretty hard. You know, everybody knows what's wrong. They offer me to, you know, come home and, you know, maybe get some help. I fought that for a while. Finally, I said, fine, I'm coming home because at this point I was just going to drink myself to death because I was a social drinker then. I was out there, I was always out there doing everything, everything. By this time now, I'm drinking alone, by myself, with my medicines. I was in a dark, dark place. 
I decided to come home. I thought maybe you know that, that would help, and it did for a while. It did. Uh, I came home. Uh, there again, I got a little better. My health got better. Moved to Indiana, and you guys fooled me. You had bars in Indiana. Ain't that something? <laughs> I'm a, I was a bar person. I mean, that's what I did. And so before you know it, I'm back in the bars and doing everything, and and like that. There again, you know, what am I expecting? You know, some days I was so sick, and I said, ah, I got you know. They knew I was still drinking. What can you do? You know, you can only lie so much. By this time now, I was so beaten and broken, so frustrated, I didn't know what to do. Some of my old friends from the bar days were going to Reno, Nevada. They called me. Of course, what did I do? I'd say, oh, I'll go. You know, I knew this was bad, but in the back of my mind, I had a plan. My plan was to go to Reno and drink myself to death, just like they see in the movies. I have no originality. I was going to get drunk. It was snowing in Reno, and they run these buses. I was going to get drunk and fall off the curb. I had no intention of coming back. That was my master plan. And like many alcoholics, I, I, I did get drunk. For me, I had made up my mind. I got to that curb. I had one foot by the curb, and I seen the bus coming. At the last second, I just pulled myself back. I look at it now. I know why now. I didn't know at the time. I thought at that time, I said, I couldn't do this to my family, you know, killing myself and letting them to pick up the mess. But it wasn't really that. I really believed I was touched by the hand of God. God saved me that day. I had tried everything else. I had ignored him. I pushed him away. I had given up on him, but he hadn't given up on me. You know, so I packed my bags and I'm going to come home. And I'm not going to drink. Because the drinking sure wasn't working out for me. So I, I'm really hurt now. The plane flight's about ready to take off. I'm an alcoholic. I'm hurt. I know what makes me well. I said, I'm not going to drink. I get on that plane. Between everything else happened, I'm shaking. I'm sweating. While people around were pointing and looking. The tenant come over and says, are you all right, sir? For some reason, I don't know why, I decided to tell the truth. I said, no, I'm not. I'm a diabetic and I've been drinking all night. She gave me a cold compress and some juice and I made it through the flight. You know, which I never would have done before. I would have admitted anything as far as that goes. But I think at that time, you know, when I step back to that, you know, sometimes we all have our different moments. You know, for me, is it that in a defining moment or whatever it is, is it, I think stepping back from that curb was probably the first unselfish thing I'd ever done in my life. You know, because I worried about what it might do to somebody else. Because before in my drinking and how I carried myself, it was about me. My, my pleasures, my priorities. You know, my, my disease had taken, taken its course. By this time, my disease of alcoholism has done what it is intended to do for alcoholics. It's here to take our last breath. And I finally realized that. So I came home, suffered for another day, couldn't sleep. Finally, I called my brother. I said, I need help. And he said, I knew you were in trouble, but I didn't know how to help. So we get, called some friends and got me in Ingalls. And I went through treatment there. And it was, it was okay. You know, it was nice. They took all my medicine away and took everything away. and They only gave me the, you know, everything as needed. Uh, but the thing was is that uh, they told me what I already knew. They told me I was an alcoholic. They said, you've got physical problems, but just like the doctor said, if you continue to drink, you're done. They suggested Alcoholics Anonymous. So I got out, and I said, I've got to try this, otherwise there's no hope. Uh, I went to a meeting in Sherville, Indiana. Uh, they first stepped me. 
another older gentleman was there. Uh, he got me to my next meeting. Uh, some of the people are here at this meeting, you know, that uh, helped me in the beginning. Uh, they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. They greeted me. They gave me hope. As an alcoholic, when we hit our bottom, we come from that place of despair and loneliness. Hope sometimes is a pretty good thing. I was given hope, and they told me there was a different way of life if I choose not to drink. Uh, and like I said, I had three gentlemen who were tremendously influential in my early sobriety. One of them was at my first step meeting, got me the other meeting. The other one was at the other meeting I went to. Uh, they helped me immensely. I look back now, and they all had long-term sobriety. And it fascinated me. I couldn't believe it. They were going to meetings in 20-some years, and they had all this sobriety. I said, aren't they cured yet? Well, they explained to me how, you, how, how, you, how, how to get cured. Uh, like I said, they took an interest in me. They got me going in this program. You know, they saved my life. They saved my life. I couldn't have done it without them. I wanted to quit many times. I thought about it. You know, I struggled like everybody else in the beginning. I would just say I had this great awakening, but I, this disease still had a little grip on me. I would go to meetings up at the Dyer Hospital, leave there, go down to the Irish pub, sit there and drink tonic. You know, who was I kidding? When the guy told me the barbershop stories, he, he, I, I was honest with what I did. I said, I just, you know, who am I, who am I trying to t- prove that I'm not an alcoholic to? Obviously not them. They laughed at me. They said, you're nuts. So you keep going to the bar, you're going to drink. You know, They didn't mince, mince two words. One guy threw some money on the table. If you want that bad, go out and get it. But I had a base in this program, and, I, and like I said, I, I, I started going to regular meetings, and uh, these gentlemen got me through some tough times. They walked me around the lake a few times. They took me out. I got went before the meetings to, you know, learn about recovery. Uh, before you know it, he was talking about himself or walking around the lake. I'm doing a four-step. I didn't even know it. Uh, but he knew it. He knew it. And the other gentleman made sure I got the meetings, made sure I kept conscious contact with AA. Uh, he's here today. Uh, we're friends today. We do things together, you know. I don't think he even has a clue how much he, he saved me. One of these other gentlemen passed away. And as many of you think you know people in AA, he, he was at our home group. When he passed away, uh, we went to a, and I said, I said, oh my God, there's all these people. I couldn't believe it. He had three home groups. He was of service. That's one of the things I learned at that meeting. That's how they got sober. You know, the guy said, if you want a chance in this program, our coins say unity. You can't do it alone. If recovery, if you're not working on recovery, you, you know, what the hell are you doing here? And then it says service. The guy, the guy said to me, he said, if you're in service and involved in A, you've got a better chance. And I thought that was a good idea because I needed every chance I could get because I came from a life that was consumed by alcohol. Everything I did, slept, or did revolved around alcohol. How could I ever go on? I was able to go on because of Alcoholics Anonymous who literally, like I said, picked me up and fixed me because I was broken. They taught me many lessons. You know, I, I can't, you know, anybody, like I said, we've got a room full of sobriety here, but any of the newcomers, somebody just get involved, you know, just get a home group. One of the hardest things for an alcoholic, at least this alcoholic, was to let somebody help me. I kept them at bay a little bit. You know, I tried to push them away and give them so much, you know. It's like the peeling of the onion, you know, until you finally let somebody else in that you get some of this recovery that they had. Uh, they were giving me the gift of recovery. Uh, it's nothing I did. You know, they just told me to keep showing up. 
And I did, thank God. You know, because like I said, when sometimes I, I know this is hard for everybody. The thing is that sometimes, you know, we all have our different levels of pain. You know, I, I really, I hope that this day I've had enough pain that I never want to go back to that that way of life. And you know, they kept saying, keep coming, it gets better. Well, my life has gotten better. It has gotten better. As bad as my health is and is now, I'm doing okay. I've lost weight. I try and take care of myself. You know, God must have spared me for a reason. That's the way I look at it. You know, the last thing I came in this program, I was given hope, you know, and then I was restored to faith in that third step. I thought all that was gone many years ago. You know? They knew I was, like most alcoholics, they know we have a problem with God. They said it was a spiritual program. They gave me the spiritual side of the program. Until you're ready for that. I did, you know, did my steps and did, did like that, but I was still a little bit, you know, like I said, not quite there yet, you know, but it was really, for me personally, and, and the program is that a lot of us, we keep a lot still inside. Our hearts are closed. It wasn't until I was around a little bit that I really opened my heart and let people and God in that this spirituality I was looking for came to me. You know, I was really blessed. I, I can't believe it, you know. One of the things, you know, if anybody here thinks i got a problem, if, if, if I can get this program, anybody can. I thank God I came in sort of dumb. I think the dumber we are and more in pain we are, the easier it is to understand. We don't, we don't over-educate ourselves out the door. And uh, I have people, like I said, I had a little bit, like I mentioned fear, a little fear coming over here. Then I get here and I see my friends. You know, the fear's gone instantly. You know, it's amazing. I've spoke before, and this was a thing. And uh, George met George and, at uh, Wheeler, and he asked me to speak here. I, th- I didn't know what it was for. I thought it was just a regular speaking thing. And then I really try and look at this now. Is that I, I can't believe I'm speaking at a roundup for Alcoholics Anonymous, who I was and where I came from. You know, talk about gratitude. You know, I have a lot of gratitude today. You know, I can't believe you know I'm here. I I remember in college I, I couldn't do this. I, when I took a public uh, a speech class, I'd have a six pack to go up there and have even talk in front of people. You know, I was comfortable with the sports because I you know that came easy to me. You know, we all, like I said, but the thing is, is that the most important thing now to me is my sobriety, and I never thought that'd be possible. This program you know, that I I'm involved with, thank God, only because that's the way I was taught and brought up. You know, I'm a product of AA environment. You guys are my teachers. Everything I've said here or said about other than my story, I've learned in AA. I've learned how to stay sober. You know, the basics they used to tell us when I first came around. You know, go to meetings, trust God and help others. I, I remember when I was relatively new, Lynn tried to, you know, was a young man. And at that time, we usually, they take a guy with a lot of sobriety. And a guy, I said, what the heck can I, I'm going to tell this guy, to, if I say something, I'm going to make him drink. He said, no, Frank, he's not going to make him drink. He said, he might listen to you. He said, your pain is fresh. You know, that's the things I learned. You know, We might have different stories, different backgrounds, but what we do know, what God is here is pain. The pain that God is here, the pain in our heart. Which I can say now, for me, you know, that, that pain has been lifted. Uh, since I've been re- got sober, uh, I have family back in my life. Uh, my I do things now, and my, my, my brother uh, has children. Uh, he trusts me with his children. He goes out of town with his wife, and I, I, I sit with his kids. You know, Years ago, when he had a party, when I was showing up, he'd hide the beer. I mean, let's face it. I said, why you got all this beer now? We have all these parties, because you don't drink anymore. He said, I can bring everything out. You know? 
Everybody knew. I can look back now and say, wow, what a dummy I was. But, and thank, because of this program now and my sobriety, uh, since I've come home, my, my, my father's had tremendous health problems. And I've been able to be there for my family. Uh, two heart attacks, uh, aortic valve, hip replacement, everything else. And, uh, I've been able to be there and be there for my mother also. Been able to, you know, help again and contribute. When I was off on my own way, I came home for holidays and things like that. I was, the only time I showed up and I was usually drunk. So I've been given a gift today. You know, the gift of sobriety has brought me back my family, new friends, and a new way of life. If I sound a little passionate about this program, it's hard for me to be passionate about something that saved my life. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.